Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, April 19th. Before we break down the past week of fantastic results we saw from across the professional tennis world, we have a couple of announcements for all of you from our Crack Rackets team. Of course, on today's podcast, I'm going to talk about Stefano Tsitsipas capturing the first Masters 1000 title of his career. I'm going to talk about former Vanderbilt standout college tennis great Astra Sharma capturing her first WTA-level title of her career. I'm also going to talk about a couple of continued standouts Standouts we see at the ATP challenger level. But a couple of things I want to bring to you listeners' attention first. A, I need to give a huge shout out and thank you to all of you listeners, all of you Cracked Rackets supporters, in particular our Cracked Rackets Patreon family. Because of your continued support, we were able to update our equipment here at Cracked Rackets. I am recording today's podcast with our brand new microphone. I am excited to have my peas no longer pop in your your ears. I'm also excited to be able to do these podcasts without having to hold the microphone the entire time. It is amazing how much easier it is to do things like maneuver stats or even talk with more emotion. I'm a hands talker and I know this is a podcast you can't see that and I like to think I do a pretty good job of conveying my emotions already but again without your continued support we would not be able to update our equipment so we are so grateful for all of that whether it's financially whether it's just you know listening to these podcasts. Our advertisers see that. They continue to come back. It's what allows us to update our equipment and continue to do all of the things we do, expanding our coverage of the professional tennis world. And speaking of our expansion of coverage, we were so excited to introduce a new member of our Cracked Rackets team, Damian Cust, who you may know on tennis Twitter as Last Word on Sport or LWOS, Damian Cust, who is going to be joining our Cracked Rackets team, not just as a staff writer, but also as a contributor contributor on our various podcasts. He's going to host the Monday episode of the Great Shot Podcast, break down the ATP Challenger action we saw over the past week, much like how I do on these Monday mini breaks, break down the past week of action on the ATP and WTA tours. He's going to focus on the Challenger-centric action. Really excited for that. Really excited to see his continued articles on our website, crackrackets.com. His first piece was a write-up on the many talented young checks rising up the ATP rankings. And so if you want to hear more about Damien, you want to hear his first podcast, check on over on our Great Shot podcast feed where both of those episodes now available for all of you listeners. And those are our two announcements, again, that I wanted to get to to bring to your attention. A huge shout out for your continued support. It's what allows us to update our equipment and allows us to bring on new members to our Crack Rackets team. Of course, the reason we are able to do this podcast day in, day out is because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. It's outdoor season, folks, and if you need to update your equipment, there's only one place to do it. It's where the best gear at the best prices can be found, and that's with our friends at MidwestSports.com. You go there, you use our promo code CR15. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, which again is immensely helpful to us, but you will also get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls Mid westsports.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that in mind, it's time to talk about some tennis. And let's start 
in Monte Carlo. First Masters 1000 event of the year for the ATP Tour on clay, and it delivered another first-time Masters 1000 champion in Stefano Tsitsipas. Now, it was a long time coming for Tsitsipas, right? You look in his career, he's a guy who has made a couple of semifinals at Grand Slams. He's already won a year-end championships. I believe that was back in 2019, and certainly he's competed in Masters finals before, but he captures his first Masters title this past week in Monte Carlo, doesn't drop a set en route to the title. You look for Tsitsipas. It wasn't like it was some, you know, cushy draw either. Did he have to play Nadal? Did he have to play Djokovic? No. But for him to get straight set wins over Aslan Karatsev, who's been a top 10 player here in 2021, you can say, well, I want to see it on the clay courts. That's fine. But I would point out he won two challenger uh, titles on clay courts last year. And certainly his hard court success on the challenger level translated to ATP level success. No reason to think his clay courts success isn't going to translate as well. He then gets a straight set win over one of the unequivocal 15 best players on clay in the men's game in Christian Guerin, three and four win over Davidovich Fokina, seven, five before unfortunately ADF had to retire. And then he ends the run of Dan Evans plays such decisive tennis, two and one win in the semifinal, three and three victories. So that's five straight sets for Tsitsipas now in a row against Andre Rublev on clay to capture uh, the title in the final. You look for Tsitsipas, he was broken three times on the week, didn't face a break point in the final, uh, held serve 93% of the time in Monte Carlo. That number would be good for first place in terms of hold percentage via Tennis Abstract's leaderboard here over the last 52 weeks amongst top, 52, uh, top 50 players. He also broke serve 37.5% of the time. That number would be number one on the Tennis Abstract leaderboard. He won 77% of his first serve, 65% of his his second serve points. And all of those numbers matched the eye test as well. In both the Evans and the Rublev match, it was how decisive Tsitsipas was. His willingness to play on his front foot, to move forward on these, you know, slow clay courts. And in particular, he wasn't afraid of either Dan Evans or Andre Rublev's forehand. If there was open space and he was set on either a backhand down the line or an inside-in forehand, he'd take that space. He'd go after that ball and then he'd either follow it forward to the net or from there, his ability to hit, you know, he baits you into challenging his on-the-run forehand, and Tsitsipas' ability to hit that ball cross-court with depth is even more impressive than his ability to hit that ball down the line. He just, he beat Rublev to the spot every time, and his ability on clay, because it slows down opponents, serves, he's able to run around that ball, hit forehand returns, or even swing through his backhand more comfortably, and then his attacking tennis, the strength of, and, you know, depth, power, uh, accuracy of his forehand, his skills at the net, that's going to translate on any surface, regardless of what it is. Tsitsipas was fantastic over this past week in Monte Carlo, and you know, what sort of company does he join? What does this title do for him? Well, it's his first Masters title, He's and these uh, stats come from at only Roger can fly. You guys all know, I quote him all the time here on the podcast, one of 19 active players now with a Masters title, one of seven active players to win a Masters title before turning 23 years old. The list includes Nadal, who won 15 before turning 23. I apologize for swearing, Super Producer Daniel Westoff. That's 
insane, and it gives him a significant lead over some of the other players on this list. You look across the board, uh, Djokovic has four, Federer, Murray, Zverev, all multiple titles as well. Hachinov, the only other guy besides Tsitsipas to win one before turning 23. He's also one of just eight players born in the 90s with a Masters title. We talk about the lost generation all the time. It's Zverev and Medvedev with three. They're the only guys with multiple titles. Then it's Dimitrov, Sok, Hachinov, Team, Hercats, and Tsitsipas now, who have all won at least one Masters title and were born in 1990. He was also the third active player to win his first Masters without dropping a set. Dimitrov and Djokovic both did that. You look for him now, sixth ATP title of his career. It's his fourth straight season with a title. That trails only Nadal and Djokovic, 17 and 16 seasons respectfully. Those are freaking insane records that are going to be really difficult for anyone to beat. Alex Virev, with his title earlier this season, is at six. If team wins another one this year, he would be at seven. And then it's Medvedev and Tsitsipas, who now have won in four consecutive seasons. You talk about that next-gen crew, players born 1996 or later. Uh, Tsitsipas now, with his six titles, trails only Rublev, who has eight, Medvedev, who has 10, and Zverev, who has 14. Other guys close in that list, Aaron's got five, all on clay. Hatchnov, Demonauer, each have four. And now we get into the clay court-centric stuff for Stefano Tsitsipas. So that's the company his title puts him in. Obviously, when you're on list with Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, Murray, Zverev, uh, you're feeling pretty good about the company you're keeping. But you look for him on clay in, uh, specifically. For Tsitsipas, 38-14 and 14 now in his last 52 weeks overall. 14-3 and three on clay. His losses were to Djokovic, five sets, French Open final, Rube, uh, French Open semifinal, excuse me, Rublev, Hamburg final, that was a three-set match. And then he lost his first match in Rome to Sinner. Of course, that was right after he had made a run at the U.S. Open. Such a quick transition. Context is king. Of course, that match was also a three-setter, so it's not as though any all of these matches he's lost have gone the distance. You want to look even broader than that? Since 2019, Stefano Tsitsipas, 31-8. In the ten clay court uh, level, uh, ten clay court ATP level tournaments he's played, he's made uh, won two titles, made two finals, two semifinals in those ten events. His losses: Djokovic twice, Nadal, Rublev, Sinner, Wawrinka, Medvedev, and Struff. Now it's also worth noting six of those eight losses, and again he's thirty-one and eight, folks. Six of those eight losses went the distance, meaning they were either three-set or five-set matches, depending on the format of the tournament. He's 16-6 and six versus top 50 players on clay since 2019, 6-5 against the top 20, 3-3 three three against top 10, with his losses coming to Nadal and Djokovic twice by ELO rating right now. Tennis abstract, again, measures who you play, not where or when. He's the number five player by overall ELO, number three by clay court specific ELO, and then if you look at the ELO rating of just the 2021 season, he's your number one player thus far during 2021. And it kind of makes sense that yearly ELO would feel that way. You look for Tsitsipas, he's 21-5, and five, trails only Rublev in victories, but obviously just defeated Rublev. He made Australian Open semifinals. He's played a bunch Acapulco final as well. His quarterfinal loss in Miami would look good in yearly ELO because it was to eventual Miami champion Hercats. He's been that good. Now, of course, moving forward, you want to say, what can we extrapolate from this? Let's look at his numbers since 2019 on clay courts. Now, 
His first serve, uh, his first serve win percentage, second serve win percentage, and hold percentage all drop. It drops, you know, five point five percent. His serve, his first serve becomes five point five percent less effective, seventy seven point eight percent to seventy two point three. His second serve win percentage drops one point eight percent. His hold percentage overall, how frequently he's dropping serve, drops from about eighty, I think it's like eighty seven percent to eighty two percent. Those are all seemingly significant drops. However, you look for Stefano Tsitsipas, those numbers, his hold percentage, first serve win percentage, second serve win percentage, would rank 10th, 2nd, and 3rd respectfully uh, in terms of numbers on the clay here in 2021. So even though his serve drops off comparatively to other players on tour, that's what I'm trying to show you here. Is yes, his serve drops off on clay, but when compared to other players on, via the Tennis Abstract Leaderboards numbers on clay, they're still better than his opponents. Now, this is the flip side, and this is where the improvements on clay manifest themselves statistically. His gains, his break percentage, how frequently he's breaking serve, up 10.2%. So he goes from 19.2% overall in ATP level matches to 29 or in hardcourt matches to 29.4% on clay. In total, he wins 5.4% more of his return points and in total, he wins about 1% more of the points he plays. Now, those gains in break percentage. He goes from being about a number 35 player in break percentage on the ATP leaderboard to top 15 on the ATP leaderboard in clay, on clay courts uh, in terms of how frequently he is breaking serve. So when you have a guy who's the number three server via hold percentage, who's a top 15 returner, returner, returner shout out to Turna, returner uh, on the clay courts, that's your recipe for a top five player. I say it all the time, You excluding Djokovic and Nadal because their sample sizes aren't big enough. It's really only Medvedev and then occasionally Zverev when he's on one of his good streaks that are going to be top 15 players in both returning and serving right now. That's your list. And obviously Rublev right now playing so well. So if you look at a more narrow sample size, but I'm talking about thus far in their careers, uh, that's why these guys have come to the forefront. The numbers are starting to match up what we're seeing with our eyes. I just listed off all of those results. He's 31 and 8 on clay in ATP level matches, and you can understand why, because everything I talked about, the slowing down of opponent serve allows him to protect his one biggest weakness, which is that backhand return. And whether it's just hitting forehand as returns, hitting first forehands on the court, his ability to play front foot tennis on clay courts to keep his opponents off balance and, you know, misfooted. It's just He's a special talent, obviously, and that's not news to anyone. But again, this result, a long time coming, and I think clay courts are going to be the surface for Tsitsipas. Not saying, the thing is, he's going to be so good on grass. He's going to be so, he already is so good on hard courts. But just keep an eye. If that first title comes at a French Open, I don't think that should surprise anyone because just, again, his aggression comparatively, uh, I think it's just, it's that much better than his opponents on clay courts. But again, 
For Stefano Tsitsipas, I don't want to spend all of my Monte Carlo recap talking about him. He does deserve the big breakdown because he is your Masters 1000 champion. He didn't drop a set. Uh, He was the best player, pretty unequivocally, from start to finish in Monte Carlo. However, you look at the other results, and I don't want to diminish what Andre Rublev did this past week, beating Rafael Nadal on clay, even if that's just one result in a vacuum, what that does for a player mentally to beat the greatest clay court player of all time on his surface especially given the fact that Rublev blew a big lead, you know, a break lead. I think he was up 4-1 in that second set, ends up dropping the second set. The match ends up going three before Rublev able to escape uh, with a 6-2-4-6. Six escape is the wrong word. Able to finish out a 6-2-4-6-6-2 victory. He just had Nadal on his back foot the entire time. He was dictating. Nadal couldn't handle the pace of Rublev's ball. And again, Let's let's slow the horns. If anyone's saying I'm saying Nadal's not the favorite entering the French Open, I've made that mistake too many times. That's not what I'm saying. It's one loss early in the clay court season. We saw Nadal lose in Rome last year to Schwartzman before beating Schwartzman when it was money time at Roland Garros. Uh, but Rublev, everything I said about Tsitsipas applies to Rublev. And you could tell by the final he was a little bit physically worn down. But to beat Bautista Agut in three sets, follow that up with a physical three-set win over Nadal. And then to beat an informed Kasper Ruud, Kasper Ruud, who 14-5, and five, by the way, has made semifinals at back-to-back Masters 1000s event on clay. Uh, that's just super impressive for Andre Rublev. And I've talked about the statistics enough for Rublev. I made the whole case last week of why I think Clay could be his best surface moving forward. But, you know, for him to beat Nadal and you look for Rublev in that match, what was he able to do and what was he able to have so much success with against Nadal? He was just on his front foot. He made 61% of his first serves, won 65% of those points. More importantly, you look for the flip side on Andre Rublev, what he was able to do to the Rafael Nadal serve, winning you know 50% of his return points, 44% of his first serve return points, creating 15 break chances for himself. Uh, That is no easy task, certainly, and so, you know, for Rublev, I don't take anything out of the loss. Yes, he's lost five straight sets to uh, Tsitsipas on clay, but, I mean, he was so good this week, and again, that's a murderer's row. Bautista, Gut, Nadal, Rude, you're going to play physical tennis, and then Tsitsipas just had him on his back foot from the start of that match. Tsitsipas got off to an early break in both sets, and, you know, again, for Andre Rublev, though, another Masters 1000 final for him. Is that another Masters 1000, or is that his first Masters 1000? I don't want people to yell at me, uh, so let's see. Final in his career at the Masters 1000 level. This was his first in the last 52 weeks. First of his career, uh, long time coming, certainly, for Andre Rublev, who, by the way, I mentioned those ELO ratings. Andre Rublev's number two in yearly ELO ratings via clay courts. He's number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven on the clay court ELO ratings, and he's number three overall in the ELO. It goes Djokovic, Medvedev, Rublev, Nadal, Tsitsipas, Team Zverev, and then Sinner, your top eight by ELO rating right now. I can't say I disagree. That's a pretty good list. That's, I think that's right. And then like, you know, PCB, Rayonich, Schwartzman, Karatsev on the bubble. Fucevic and Korda probably a little high at 14 and 15. Bautista, good, crazy to say, probably a little bit low at 16. But again, Rublev is that good, folks. He's a top five player. There can only be five. So I guess he's a top eight player. That's like the elite of the elite right now in men's tennis. And he is in that category. It's the big three. 
the next gen crew, and you know he's part of that. The big three, and then the five next gen crewers, which are Zverev, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Rublev, and with all due respect to FAA, probably Sinner right now. Uh, you know that's your top eight. That makes sense, and that is what. Oh, you know, I guess Dominic Team I didn't include. Uh, Dominic Team belongs in that conversation. He's just a little bit injured right now. But anyways, point being, you swap in Team for Sinner more than anything else. Rublev firmly in that top eight conversation. And then, you know, I, I briefly mentioned Casper Ruud there. Game just fits clay court so well. Watch him hit a slice serve on the deuce side, uh, hit that slice out wide just to open up all of the court in the world so he can hit that inside out or cross court backhand. And then, you know, on the ad side, watch him go big down the tee so that he can sneak around and be ready to play an inside out or inside in forehand. His forehand rips through these clay courts. I talked about him a bunch last week as well. So, you know, again, yes, he lost to Rublev, but back-to-back semifinals for him, 14-6 and six in his last 52 on clay at the ATP level. Guy is going to be a problem to deal with on the dirt moving forward. And then I wanted to say quickly on Dan Evans, 4-13 and 13 in ATP level clay court matches entering the week. Uh, now, obviously, makes his first Masters 1000 semifinal on clay courts. For him to do that, I don't think any of us saw that coming. And obviously for Evans to beat, you know, the Deuce, to beat Hercats, to beat Novak freaking Djokovic, David Goffin as well. He just showed such patience all week long. He was willing to play long physical points, use his variety, bait you into challenging his on-the-run forehand. Of course, Tsitsipas was able to keep him on his back foot, perhaps a little bit more than those other guys earlier in the event. And Tsitsipas just put so much pressure on you with his game style. But man... I mean, Evans looked really good, and, you know, do I think this... Well, I, I'm more certain that Casper Ruud makes the second week of the French Open than Dan Evans. This is still just one week for him, but it is part of a larger trend for Evans, who now you look in the live rankings for Dan Evans, currently sitting at a career high of number 26 for the 30-year-old. You look for him here, number 11 in the ATP race, you know, which is the race to the year-end finals. Yeah. He's a top 30 guy. I mean, he really is. His variety, his physicality, he's in the prime of his career, uh, and it's just so great to see him bounce back and was a fantastic week of tennis from him. In terms of the other notable standout performers, again, I sort of talked about it with the Rafa when talking about Rublev. Did he look great? Uh, in his in that match against Rublev? No, he didn't. He was on his back foot more than perhaps I've ever seen him on a clay court and just was reacting to everything Rublev was doing rather than imposing his own will. But it's week one. He hadn't played since the Australian Open. He's going to be fine come the French Open. I hope Davidovich Fokina is fine following his retirement against Tsitsipas. It was a great week for him to make the quarterfinals. We said it. Here on the podcast, the big run was coming. He had that big run this week, just unfortunately ended on a sour note. Uh, Really happy for David Goffin, who's back. He's playing the sort of tennis we thought he would be playing at this point of his career, just the ultimate gateway into the top 15. He's going to put so much pressure on you, do a little bit of everything, punish your mistakes. He looked fantastic, and then... You know, I guess Fabio Fognini's reign in Monte Carlo had to come to an end at some point, but I'm sure he's going to be pumped to get that quarterfinal under his belt, protect some of his points, down to number 27 in the rankings, but could have been a lot worse had he lost first round. So that was your recap of the weekend in Monte Carlo. Again, the big storyline, Tsitsipas, first Masters 1000 title of his career, but overall, a fantastic week of ATP action. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. 
When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, Cracked fans. As winter slowly turns into spring and all of us look forward to getting back on the outdoor tennis courts, we here at Cracked Rackets want to ensure that you listeners have everything you need to make sure your return to outdoor tennis is a successful one. That's where our friends at Gamma Sports come in. Now, if you need new strings, new grips, new court equipment, ball hoppers, machine tools, and accessories, whatever it may be, our friends at Gamma have it all for you. They've also, of course, got dampeners, over grips, replacement grips. They've got it all. And if you go to their website, gammasports.com slash tennis right now, you use our promo code CRACK20, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, I know Gamma has a new string pattern in the queue called the React Pro which all of you Gamma String users will enjoy. And even if you're not using Gamma Strings, maybe now's the time to start. But they've also got polyesters, everything you could be looking for from a tennis equipment standpoint, all in one location. Just go to gammasports.com slash tennis right now. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Again, gammasports.com slash tennis. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Let's talk now about the action we saw unfold in Charleston. What a funky week. And I suppose, again, and I sort of said this in our Deciding Point episode, we should have expected that. It was the second week of back-to-back events and the draw. Uh, you know, certainly the there was a dearth of top 20 players compared to the previous week. But if you would have told me former Vanderbilt standout and, you know, All-American and top 100 uh, singles player, formerly top 100 singles player, but certainly top 30, maybe better, doubles player in the world, Astra Sharma, was going to make the final and ultimately knock off Own Jabour to win the title, I would have called you crazy. But guess what? That's exactly what we saw unfold this past week in Charleston. You look for Astra Sharma, three-set win for her, 2-6-7-5-6-1 over Own Jabour. She just does a little bit of everything well. She moves so well. She's got length around the court. She beats you to the spot. She's comfortable moving forward, comfortable at the net. She just dealt really well with the variety Jabour uh, imposed, and she made the match physical. And the thing was, Jabour was hitting her around the court because Sharma doesn't have that overwhelming weapon. She's pretty good at everything, but perhaps not great at anything but she just made the match physical, and you could tell Jabour was struggling as the match went on. And, you know, again, un- that was so unfortunate for us tennis fans, especially with the way Jabour started that first set, just hitting all of the lines and imposing her variety. But just Sharma kept making that extra ball. Sharma kept forcing Jabour to hit that one extra put-away shot in the first set, and it started to add up. And then, you know, again, for Astra Sharma here on the week, uh, she just continued to put pressure on all of her opponents uh, in this match. She made 62% of her first serves, and for the week, she was at like 70%, I think, overall. Won 64% of her first serve points, 59% of her second serve points. You know, she was on top of uh, Owen Shapur's second serve, and she won over uh, 60% of her second serve points for the week. Uh, She just, again, she played aggressive first strike tennis, which is what you need to do on these clay courts because of how hard it is to find her footing. And you do look for Sharma. There's no doubt. 
You play a 15-year-old in Linda Fruvertova, who's immensely talented, but playing her first eight, uh, WTA-level quarterfinal. Uh, that's the ideal draw for Sharma, who at 25 years old. Oh, man, Sharma, like literally, what, a month older than me? A little less than a month older than me? That makes me feel interesting. Anyways, uh, for, yeah, I haven't won a title yet. That's the big thing there. I'm like, let me think. The thing is, she's still a month older than me. So I suppose I have one month to win my first professional title. I don't know what my first prof- – well, <laughs> I actually do know what it would mean. If you hear me on the NCAA broadcast, it means career-wise I'm on the same trajectory as Astra Sharma because that would be my first tour-level broadcast or, I suppose, big-time broadcast. So that would be what I have to do to catch up with Astra Sharma on the age curve. Anyways, you know, for her to get Fruvertova, she just made that match too physical. She just, you know, again, Fruvertova couldn't really hurt her. Uh, it's a credit to Sharma. And then against Maria Camila Osorio-Serrano for Sharma to take that first set. You know, Camila Osorio-Serrano just sort of ran out of steam there, and she had won the title the week before in Bogota and played a super physical three-set match the day before uh, against, I believe it was Christina McHale. And again, credit to Sharma, who in that match played high-percentage tennis. She made 67% of her first serves, and she attacked all of her return, won 70% of her second-serve return points, played first-strike tennis because she could tell uh, Soria Serrano was feeling it. And she just... Again, it, the ability to identify an opponent's weakness, an ability to identify an opponent who is not playing their best tennis on that day, uh, it's a credit to Astra Sharma, who is a former NCAA team champion, who was an All-American, and just, again, it proves college tennis works. Hate to say that that's always the plug, but just you can tell Astra Sharma is someone who's seen a lot of different game styles and who's fought through tough physical matches before and just knows what it means to just stay on court and survive and just, you know, play through the tough times, play through your opponent's hot stretches, and just, again, be the better player, be the last person standing on court when the match is said and done. And it's a credit to Astra Sharma, who's dealt with so many different little nagging injuries and setbacks in her career. But now, you know, again, up to number, I believe, 117 in the live rankings with her title. Crazy that a WTA title no longer guarantees you an entry into the top 100, but... It was a fantastic week of tennis for Astra Sharma. Well-deserved uh, title for her. Great two weeks for Char- in Charleston for Own Jabura. Sour ending, I suppose, but her variety is just going to work on clay courts. And I made the whole case last week, and I'm trying my best not to repeat myself moving forward. But you can just see her comfort moving, sliding around the courts, her ability to slice and just play with variety, play angles, play down the line, beat you to the spot. It's just going to work on clay court. She is going to win a big clay court match over the next two months. Is it going to be at the French Open? Is it going to be at one of the Masters, or I'm sorry, the 1,000-level events, 500-level events? I don't know, but it's going to happen. And you look for Onjabur now with this final. She is currently, let's see who she is in the race. She's number 15 in the race to Shenzhen, the year-end finals for the women. Currently in the live rankings, Onjabur, number 25 I mean, I would have been insulted if she was outside the top 30. One could very well argue with her results. She's a top 20 player, but certainly given the lack, the dearth, there's that word again, dearth, I suppose our word of the day here at Cracked Records, the dearth of clay court WTA level points she has right now on her resume. She's going to have an opportunity to add quite a bit here in this clay court stretch. Uh, in terms of your other semifinalists, again, Maria Osorio Serrano, we've talked about her a lot the past week. She's a stud. Uh, just, uh, just 
we're going to be hearing about the 19-year-old Colombian more and more over the next few months, uh, over the, the course of the 2021 season, then of course throughout the course of this decade, because her serve, uh, her serve, excuse me, her forehand is a cannon. It's a slingshot. A ball just explodes off of the strings, and she's just she's going to continue to get better as a mover. She's such an outstanding competitor. Really excited to see where she goes from here. And then in terms of your other semifinalists, just quickly, Danka Kavinich, who goes semifinal final at these two events. Uh, obviously for her, uh, you know, Charleston's a huge win and you look for Kavinich now in the live rankings. Uh, and, you know, Kavinich, uh, not that old. I believe she's only 26 years old. Yeah, up to number 62 now in the live rankings that's still off of her career high of number 46, but I mean, her ability in that quarterfinal match to absorb Shelby Rogers' pace, beat her to the spot, and then, you know, get more aggressive and play plus one tennis as well, her comfort moving on the clay. She is as well, you know, on the backbone of this clay court season. Second round, third round, if you see her give a top seed a challenge or maybe even knock them off at the French, it all depends on the draw, but Danka Kavinich is not someone I would want to play on a clay court because, again, she just she moves so well on the court. She moves so well around the court. Just a tough out here uh, in that Bedosa Jaber, uh, Sarah Suribes Tormel model. But I guess more Bedosa Jaber uh, in that the pop just from the baseline. They beat you to the spot. They're comfortable moving. They're comfortable off of both wings. Uh, a great uh, two weeks for her in Charleston. And then. You know, sour ending for Clara Tawson, who unfortunately had to retire after a fantastic first set in the quarterfinals against Osorio Serrano for Shelby Rogers. She had that first set on her rack and then just kind of unfortunately lost. You know, Kavinich just kept putting pressure on her, but she had so many chances in that quarterfinal match. You know, shout out to Linda Fruvertova quarterfinals, 15 years old. What were you doing when you were 15? What was I doing when I was 15? I was recently skinny because I had lost all of the weight for my sophomore season of high school. I was a sophomore in high school. Most of my friends were getting their license. I was a little bit younger than them. So thankfully, I had a fantastic doubles partner who lived you know, across the road from me and would pick me up every day and take me to school and take me to practice. And that's probably why I'm as into tennis as I am, because from there we would do social things. But anyways, I was worried about those social things. I was worried about going to practice. I was worried about, oh man, I hope I brought money so that we can go get milkshakes after practice because, wow, that made me sound like such a loser. Well, I won't say who we're getting the milkshakes with, but um, <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah, Fruvertova stud. That joke was for me, but she is out standing. Um, and she gets, uh, you know, first WTA level quarterfinals, certainly fantastic exposure for her early in her pro career. But that's all of the action in Charleston. I want to end by talking about the action we saw unfold at the ATP Challenger Tour because we did have a couple of noticeable results. And I know, again, I don't want to step on Damien's podcast. He's going to be breaking down this past week's Challenger action uh, on our Monday GSP, which all of you hopefully will have listened to by now. Also, I uh, don't want to step on a podcast David Gertler and I are going to certainly be doing later on in the week. But I do want to quickly talk about Jensen Brooksby and Casper Zook because when you put together the sort of runs that the two of them have 
to start this 2020, uh, 2021 season, and in particular for Zook, even extending beyond that, dating back to August. Something that I have to mention here on our podcast to start the week. Let's start with Casper Zook, who you look now 41-9, and an 82% win percentage since the tour resumed play in August. During that stretch, he won three 25K titles. You look for him here to start 2021. He's made the quarterfinals or better in all six challengers he's played. He's made the semifinals or better in his last three events. So he goes from indoor hard courts to outdoor clay. Doesn't make a difference. And now he earns his first challenger title by earning the victory in split uh, in Croatia. Was a 4-2 and two victory for him over Borg in the final three-set win over Elias Emer, uh, 6-7-6-0-6-1 in the semifinals. The thing for Kasper Zuk, it's very much in the Davidovich, Fokina, Tommy Paul, David Goffin model. He's not going to overwhelm you with his size or any one thing he does, but man, what a well-rounded game. His ability to use his speed to beat you to the spot, take the ball early. It's like a pancake. It reminds you of like a 1980s, 90s grip on the forehand, and yet plenty dynamic. It's actually, you know who it looks like? It's an Alex Diemenauer forehand, but, uh, you know, he still is plenty successful hitting through the courts. I actually like his backhand, his ability to hit through that ball, maybe even more comfortable mover around the court, comfortable at the net as well. Doesn't overwhelm you, again, with his serve, with his pace, but hits all of his spots so well, sets up his points so well. It really is. Now that I've said that, I'm fascinated by the Casper Zuka Alex Diemenauer forehand comparison. I'm going to go watch it just to confirm that I think I'm right. And again, this is what I do on Mondays. I watch film from the players of the past week. But again, you look for uh, all of these uh, players. You look for, uh, excuse me, you look at all of these results for Casper Zuk. Pretty clearly indicative of a guy on the rise here now in the men's game. And with this challenger title, you look for Casper Zouk. Uh, he's inside the top 200 for the first time in his career, up to number 173 in the live rankings. He was 172 a day ago. That was his career high. Uh, but now again, firmly in the top 200 and for the 22-year-old, you know, did it come as quickly as it for as it did for a Korda, for a Zverev, for a Medvedev, even for a Davidovich Fokina? No, but it's coming now. When you do this three months in a row, and I think he would have done this at the challenger level last year, but as Damien mentioned in a conversation we had, uh, you know, the challenger cutoff ranking number was just so high last year. You had to be top 200, and he wasn't, but that didn't scare him off. He still went and played the matches he needed to play, won them when he needed to win them, and now all of that success, all of that confidence is translating to the challenger level. Kasper Zouk's a guy you need to have circled, and if he's playing a challenger event, if he's in ATP qualifying, whatever it may be, uh, he's going to have success. And that's been the story for him here in 2021. And then a guy who we have talked to here at Cracked Rackets, a guy who uh, we have talked about here on our Cracked Rackets podcast, Jensen Brooksby, second challenger title for him this past week in Orlando of the season. He does not drop a set en route to the title. And it wasn't like this was a cupcake draw. Wins over Kudla, over a very much informed Christian Harrison of very much in form Eltug Chelik Bellic, who we have talked about a lot on our Challenger podcast, is having a ton of success of late. And for Brooksby, it's so unconventional, and yet it's just so effective. And it's only been on hard courts this year, but he's 18-4. and four. You look at his last three Challenger results, title in South Africa, final in Cleveland, title in Orlando. I mean, you do that three events in a row, 
it's not a fluke, folks. Like you have to take notice of that degree of success. It's reminiscent of reminiscent of when Fritz won the junior U.S. Open, then ripped off back-to-back challengers back in what was that 2015. Uh, but yeah, I mean, for Brooksby, the reason he didn't have the success in 2020 is because he was injured and he wanted to play college tennis first season. Turf toe, unfortunately, got the better of him, and now he's healthy, playing pro matches again. And the results speak for themselves. You know, the first serve, it doesn't overwhelm you, but he makes, he's made 70% of his first serves here in the 2021 season. And just when you're putting that many first serves in play, he does have the ability to hit the big kicker out wide on the ad, or the big flat out wide, I should say, on the ad. And he will occasionally jam you with pace to your body on that deuce side as well. But it's just high percentage tennis. 70% of his first serves go in. He wins 68% of those points, 53% of his second serve points hold 78% of the time he makes so many returns in play and he's breaking 36.6% of the time which would be top five amongst top 50 players but of course you have to adjust for the level of competition he's playing but again it's just like his arm he's got these octopus arms that just seem to track down everything and you think you hit a ball by him or you think you have him in a disadvantageous position on the court and he just just hits the ball by you. Like, he'll hit that backhand pass down the line, cross court, as he did to Kudla a million times, and was frustrating him to all ends. And, you know, that's what Jensen does as well. His energy, he just gets on you. He's just, he puts so many returns in play, gives you nothing easy, and just, again, that forehand is sneaky explosive. Ball exploded through those Orlando courts, and it doesn't overwhelm you with pace, but it's always very well placed, and it's just an extremely effective game. And so, you know, you look for both of these guys now. They're winning 80% of their matches at the challenger level over a three-month stretch. That's we're ready to play ATP level qualifying levels of success. And for Brooksby, I said this on the Great Shot podcast, and I said this about both of them, but they belong, or I guess for Brooksby, he belongs in that conversation with Nakashima. You know, Korda's Korda now, but in the Tommy Paul, Nakashima, uh, Brooksby, or Tiafo, you know, Fritz and Opelka, maybe not quite. They might be still a little bit ahead. But just like in those tiers of who are the Ameri- Mackie McDonald belongs in that conversation. Uh, who are the next wave of Americans who are going to be really good for a really long time? Jensen Brooksby is going to be really good for a really long time. And knowing him like I do, I'm also a thousand percent positive he's going to become the best tennis player he can be as well. So again, a shout out and a credit to both Jensen Brooksby and Casper Zhuk. Excuse me, it's Casper Zhuk, which I learned from uh, my friend Damien on our podcast. Casper Zhuk and Jensen Brooksby, both outstanding performances at the challenger level. Shout out to Roberto Carbeas Mania as well. He slipped out of the top 100 for a hot second. I believe now with this result, he's back into the top 100. Let's see, for Carbeas Mania, he is currently now sitting at number 92. That's correct. And by the way, Brooksby into the top 200 for the first time in his career, up to number 192. That's a new career high in the live rankings with this Orlando title. And he doesn't have many points to defend given the injuries, given the fact that he was playing college tennis. So fascinating. Uh, again, uh, little narrative to watch. Zhuk and Brooksby have been the real deal. They delivered the goods once again this past week on the ATP Challenger Tour. 
But that's your recap of Championship Weekend here in the professional tennis world. Now, of course, as we always do here early in the week, I'm going to record another podcast previewing this week's ATP and WTA draws. We'll talk a little bit about the challenger action, but again, I don't want to step on the work Damien did and the work David and I will do later in the week, but be on the lookout for that preview podcast as well. Be on the lookout for everything we're doing here this week at Crack Rackets. We, uh, I'm going to be on press row for the two WTA events, so expect some from the presser segments on our Cracked Interviews podcast. I know we've been a little bit behind there. We're trying to go daily now on both the GSP and the mini break, but we don't want the Cracked Interviews podcast to suffer, so be on the lookout for that. Of course, be on the lookout for all of our latest content, whether it's our uh, on our YouTube channel, fa- Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You need the immediate updates. That's social media as well. At Cracked Rackets, you want to message me directly. I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out as always to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who have a of an ending job to do day in, day out. And by the way, Super Producer Daniel Westoff's first reaction to the microphone arriving at our front door today, he goes, I'm so excited to see sound waves again. That just speaks to Super Producer Daniel Westoff. That's why there's no one better to work with in the business. So shout out to him as always. Uh, and shout out to Fliegner for all that they do. Shout out to our friends at Midwest Sports. Remember, if you need any new gear, just go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. And again, be on the lookout for our many podcasts this week. Great shot podcast, cracked interviews podcast, this feed, like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. But with that in mind, for our wonderful super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.